0: Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Carlyn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited for my guest today. I have Dr. Carrie Jones with me. She is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. Dr. Jones graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine, where she also completed a two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. Later, she graduated with a Master's of Public Health. Recently, Dr. Jones became board certified through the American Board of Naturopathic Endocrinology. While in practice, Dr. Jones served as medical director for two large integrative clinics, and she is currently the medical director for Precision Analytical, which a lot of you guys probably know does the Dutch test, which is a great test for hormones. So welcome. Thank oh my you. Gosh. Thank you so much for coming.
1: Thank you. I so appreciate this. And I was just, I just remembered, um, I have your dry shampoo in my hair right now. So. Oh, you do?
0: Well, I actually saw on Instagram that you were trying two different types of dry shampoo. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I need to mail her one of my dry shampoos. So that's awesome.
1: When it it came back in stock, you put, I think you put a message up or something on Instagram. Uh I was like, purchase. Oh, that's (laughs)
0: awesome. Well, I hope you like it.
1: I do. I like it a lot. This I think is the third or fourth time I've tried it. So all my friends are like, tell me what you think. We're looking for dry shampoos too.
0: Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you. Well, I tell everybody that you are the hormone expert. Anytime someone asks about hormones, I'm like, go follow Dr. Carrie Jones. She'll teach it all. So let's just delve right into hormones because it is a favorite question that I get from followers all the time, everything about hormones. So let's start with the basics. I get a lot of followers who say, um, oh my gosh, I think my hormones are off. Mm -hmm. What do I do about this hormonal imbalance? And sometimes I do laugh because I'm like, well, there's so many hormones. (laughs) Which one? (laughs) (laughs) Which one are you talking about? But I think they're not talking... Well, I think they're talking estrogen, progesterone, you know, those. So yeah. um, what do you why do you think people, especially in women, their hormones are so off these days? What do you suggest to them? What do you think is mm-hmm.
1: contributing to this? That, <laughs> good thing we have an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing with hormones is, well, first I'll tell everyone what a hormone is. So a hormone is basically a chemical message. It's like a text message it's what it is. It's a messenger. And so the brain is the master controller ultimately for all of our hormones whether it's thyroid hormone, whether it's your ovarian hormones which think estrogen, progesterone, um also some testosterone, think your adrenal hormones, so think cortisol, think adrenaline, think DHEA. And so the brain co- coordinates all this and then once the hormone goes out, what they do is they bind to little receptors. Like a lock and key, and it turns them on, and and you know, or opens the door, or activates it. You know, uh, wonder twins activate, and so when your hormones are uh, choreographed to be released in a particular way, at a particular time, at a particular part of the month, then everything's great. It's like an orchestra; it sounds great. It sounds in tune. You know, all the sections are doing what they're supposed to do. But when the orchestra is out of tune, if the brain is not able to communicate, if the gland like the ovaries or the adrenals or the thyroid is not receiving, if maybe it's too much or too little, that's when we get all the symptoms. That's when women start to say, I feel like my hormones are off. And I would agree. I'd say when they say that most of the time, they mean the two hormones, estrogen. And they mean progesterone. And boy, because it's a communication between the, the brain up top, you know, and the ovaries sort of in our abdominal area, um, that's a long way to go, and a lot can get in the way. A lot can interfere. Everything from, I mean, even just stress—the the stress of the last year. A lot of women have said, "Gosh, my cycles are weird. My PMS is worse. My periods are heavier. My I skipped a cycle. I'm a week early. Like, what is going on?" Um, and the the hormones, cortisol for stress, can affect your hormones like right. estrogen and progesterone. So there's a lot that goes into it's sort of screwing up the whole, the, the whole <laughs> pattern, the whole cycle, the whole orchestra. <laughs> right. Yeah. So
0: stress is a huge one. I know nutrition plays a part. I know
1: nutrition plays a part ingredients, which yeah. is why I love following you so much. We have the endocrine disruptors that all those hormones from the brain down to all the different glands, that's actually called our endocrine system. Like we have an immune system, we have an endocrine system and the endocrine system doesn't like to be disrupted. And what happens is we have all these chemicals that are known as endocrine disruptors and they swoop in and they pretend they act like particularly estrogen. So even if your body is doing great, the orchestra sounds great. Everything's where it's supposed to be. When the endocrine disruptors swoop in, they bind to these receptors like a, like a close enough key into a lock and still turns it on, still opens the door, still screws stuff up. And so your own production could be just fine. Your own system could be just fine. But these chemicals come in and mess them up. Yep.
0: Um, I love that analogy of the lock and key because that's a perfect image. I talk about endocrine disruptors quite often on my Mm -hmm. site because women use so many of them. People don't realize that they're in their body lotion and their body wash and you know, makeup and I mean the list goes on and on and feminine products and our plastic and so many different things. So I love that you touch upon that, that it is actually really important for women yeah. to be aware of what chemicals they're putting in their body that can be mimicking this estrogen.
1: And it's it's scary because we we don't we don't really have quality testing for it. So women will say, gosh, I have all these estrogen symptoms. My breasts are big and heavy or my periods are Heavy or crampy or clotty. I grow fibroids. I have endometriosis, I, you know, wh- whatever it is. Um, but I got my hormones checked and they looked pretty normal. What could that be? Like, well, unfortunately, plastics, phthalates, parabens, fertilizers, pesticides, they look kind of like estrogen, but not exactly. They're not twinning. Therefore, on testing, we're picking up estrogen. We're not picking up pesticide and, you know, phthalate or bisphenol, BPA, like we're not, that stuff doesn't come through because it doesn't look exactly like estrogen. We're only looking for estrogen. So it's confusing to women who go, I have all the symptoms, but I'm, you know, but my estrogen looks good.
0: When I read that on one of your posts, I actually did not realize that it didn't show up in estrogen testing. And I was floored. I was like, oh my gosh, that is the answer because so many people claim they have like estrogen dominance, but like you Mm -hmm. said, we'll go to the doctor and it's all fine. And then they're frustrated. And so when I read that, I was like, that makes 100%. Yeah. hundred percent. Huge. Uh, Exactly. Um, okay. So let's talk about symptoms because an estrogen, especially with cycles, Mm -hmm. I get a lot of people that write in, like I have horrible PMS, I've got heavy cramping, um, you know, all, all the stuff that women have to deal with, but shouldn't have to deal with. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't be horrible cramping and heavy bleeding and that's not right. Right. So, okay. Are the symptoms for someone that have problems the first 14 days of their symptom different than, I mean, is something going on hormonally that's different than the last 14 days of women that have symptoms?
1: Yes. So the first day you get your period the first day you actually bleed that's considered day one and then as we hedge closer we move along we move along we move along we get closer to ovulation which is generally in this in the middle of our cycle ish for just for, for ease sake let's just say it's day 14 if you have a 28 day cycle so once you release the egg that's ovulation then you start to make the hormone progesterone so in the first part of your cycle you're very estrogen heavy It's normal. Estrogen's a preparer. It's a grower. It's like, just in case you get pregnant, I'm going to start making things fluffy in the uterus and like hospitable and like ready just in case you want to get pregnant. Like, I don't want to get pregnant. I'm not looking to get pregnant, but I know as as someone who has a regular menstrual cycle, this is what happens once you ovulate now progesterone comes out and and sort of finishes it off but there's the refining details and progesterone is also calming it's soothing it's relaxing it's it keeps us in a good mood like we like progesterone um but if you don't ovulate if you don't release the egg you're not going to make progesterone and if you release the egg but the cells that are responsible for making progesterone Aren't the greatest quality, then instead of like pumping out estrogen, you kind of like eke out estrogen. It's like eek. <laughs> it's <laughs> a little bit comes out, right? And so what happens is we get this imbalance between how much progesterone you should have and how much estrogen you actually have. And so a lot of women will hear it called estrogen dominance. And what we really mean is in that second 14 days, your progesterone that should be big and robust and calming you and helping you sleep and feeling good isn't. And estrogen sort of dominating at that point. And now we're like PMSing. We have tender boobs and we have heavy periods and clots and all the things that are common but not normal. Women ideally should not be experiencing all of these things like we do. And so it's that... It's that in it's that sort of ratio, that imbalance between the two causes the problems in the second half.
0: So in the second half, they're low it could be low progesterone.
1: Yes. Okay. Yep. And you may have normal levels of estrogen. You may do a blood test or a urine test or a saliva test and you're like, but my estrogen's totally in range. It is, but compared to progesterone, um, estrogen's winning. And that's why we get symptoms.
0: Okay. So what do you suggest to these women that all write in wanting help with those, you know, day 25, 26, where they're just miserable?
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, so the first thing I recommend is testing. Like, let's see for sure where everything is and not just looking at estrogen and progesterone, but checking a few other markers as well. Um, Like checking cortisol, which we just talked about. Cortisol can suppress or push down ovulation therefore it's going to affect your progesterone um, checking your blood sugar your glucose and your insulin checking your thyroid markers these all actually um have a direct impact on whether or not you release the egg and and make the progesterone uh, every month so i want a kind of a bigger snapshot of what's going on because i you know there's women will say oh i have low progesterone i'll just take progesterone i'm like well but you didn't but we don't know why you have low progesterone. Like let's, let's backtrack and figure out like what's going on in your life. That's causing you to have low progesterone. Maybe you just got off the birth control pill. Maybe you have an IUD the the Marina, which is can lower progesterone uh, or excuse me, lower ovulation. Um, maybe, you know, you've got a thyroid problem. You've got a, like either a really big thyroid problem or like kind of a sort of pseudo half thyroid problem. Either way, it's going to affect your ovulation. So that's the first thing that I recommend women do. And a lot of women know they have issues, but they, especially this last year, they haven't gone to the, to the doctor, right? Right. Nobody's really leaving their home. So it's becoming more challenging. But now as we're sort of moving through the pandemic, I'm like, be your own advocate and ask for some of the, you know, these markers on yourself. Now, when you test Remember, we said that these things happen in the second half of your cycle. So make sure you get your testing done in the second half of your cycle. If you have a 28-day cycle, ideally, you want to test roughly around day 19, day 20 or 21. Again, we're trying to go for that progesterone, and um, which and that's where it lives. That's where it hangs out. If you test in the beginning, if you test you know, during your period or um, on day 10, day 11, you may be at the complete wrong part of your cycle. And that's not gonna give you much information. So right. first thing is test. Second thing is test on the right day.
0: <laughs> so a couple days after ovulation, actually. Five to
1: seven days after i after you think you've ovulated or you've done in what's called an ovulation predictor kit, which a lot of women are maybe familiar with, just maybe they've done it for fertility purposes. They they do this, right. it's a urine test, right? You pee on it in the morning and when it's positive, you're likely to ovulate in the next day or two. So well, yeah.
0: Okay. So with all your reasonings of hormones being off, I also want to throw in that I tell people hormones are sometimes the first thing to go because if your body needs to survive, it can survive without your hormones being balanced. And so it can be as easy as like gut issues. You've got gut Mm -hmm. issues going on. Therefore, your body is focusing on that and your hormones have gone by the wayside.
1: (laughs) hundred percent. I tell tell women that the brain Is constantly surveying to see if you're safe enough and healthy enough to become pregnant, whether you want to become pregnant or not, like it's, you always have the potential and well, often always have the potential. And so if you have infection, inflammation, um, like gut, if you have a lot of gut issues going on, it's possible. It's enough inflammation, enough stress on the body. That the body's like, oh, not this month. Let's not ovulate this month and not let's not make progesterone this month. Which from a safety don't get pregnant standpoint is maybe the best thing for your body. Let's put the fire out first. But from a symptom point of view, like we get slammed. We get, you know, then our PMS is bad that month and we're moody and our, our periods right. are heavier and our cramps are worse. And it's not fair.
0: Let's actually talk about cramps really quick because I know <laughs> your last few posts have been about cramps. Mm-hmm. Um And like, like you've said, heavy, hard, painful cramps should not be the normal thing. Yeah. So what can you suggest to girls that do have those?
1: Yeah. So I'll tell you what cramps are caused by, because some people want to know, like, is it estrogen that causes cramps? Technically, it's these things called prostaglandins, and they cause spasms. Um, Think, think of prostaglandins go up like with labor. So if you are pregnant, and you're about, you're giving labor and you're, you have contractions. Those contractions are caused by prostaglandins on a much, 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 much smaller scale. Um, that's why we get menstrual cramps because these same prostaglandins squeeze, uh, and it causes cramps. Now, unfortunately though, a lot of things can trigger these cramps to get worse. Like being in that sort of estrogen dominant state perpetuates the cramp situation and so now we're looking at again reading labels which your expertise <laughs> making sure you're pulling out or switching out all those things that have estrogen-like chemicals in them so we don't perpetuate the cramps reducing inflammation, like what you eat, what you drink. Um, I've had several comments from women who said they got rid of vegetable oils. They stopped using canola oil and safflower oil. They cut it all out of their diet and it helped immensely. I've had other women write in to say, I added in like fish oil and evening primrose oil and some you know some olive oil. And um, they, just that switch alone has made a world of difference. The GI tract, your intestines, and your uterus are right next to each other. So if you do have GI stuff, if you have gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, you have candida, you've been told you have parasites, whatever it is, um, then when the intestinal tract is irritated and inflamed, that can cross over and irritate and inflame the uterus as well. And then progesterone, progest- you know, making sure, um, which is A little bit of a multi-step process but you know get tested see where your progesterone is work with somebody to help get that estrogen progesterone balance back help make sure your liver is healthy make sure you know that you can properly clear your estrogens out of your body with through you know detoxification is important i mean everything from like evaluate your alcohol intake you know Mm -hmm. alcohol is a bully in the liver and it alcohol pushes everything to the back which means that they don't get detoxified in the manner that you want them to in a timely manner. So they go out back out in a circulation and that can worsen cramps plus everything else. So if you're like a one or two glass of wine a day girl, maybe reel that in.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love that. Okay. My takeaway from that is you should go to a doctor to get help and get tested. But at the same time we can be empowered to do some Mm -hmm. things on our own while we're waiting um, for that doctor's appointment or whatever. Yeah. First of all, the diet is huge. Um, mm-hmm. Those oils that you said that they got rid of, those are full of omega-6s, which our bodies have too many of. And so when you say they switch to uh, fish or cod liver oil or those other omega-3 things, you know, that reduces our inflammation. So that's really powerful that women can do that. Mm-hmm. Women can change their beauty products with all those um, endocrine disruptors that are mimicking the estrogen. So I love that you stated that. Mm -hmm. So you started talking about detox. I love the topic of detox. I know we (laughs) could talk hours on it. Um, Tell us a little bit about the basics of detox, because Mm -hmm. when you started talking on Instagram about estrogen detox, I actually had some followers tell me like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize you had to detox estrogen. Like I didn't realize you peed and pooped that out. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about detox in general, where we detox detox. And then let's throw in estrogen to that as well.
1: So detoxification happens in our body 24-7, 365. It never turns off. My joke is it doesn't take off Sunday. It doesn't take off your birthday. It doesn't stop for Christmas or Hanukkah, none of that. It happens 24-7, 365 because we as humans are exposed to internal and external chemicals, hormones, things, medications that we have to clear in one end and out the other, pretty much. Detoxification primarily starts in the liver, although you do have other uh, cells in the body, like for example, breast tissue, believe it or not, can help detoxify estrogen. And so it starts in the liver and then then you eliminate it. And so you eliminate it through the kidneys, which is why hydration is so important and kidney health, or you essentially poop it out. So this is why bile health is important, gallbladder health, intestinal health, um, having, you know, regular bowel movements is important because that's where you ultimately get rid of it. And that's how detoxification works. And yes, estrogen, progesterone, um, testosterone, DHEA, cortisol, everything goes through detoxification. Nothing in your body um, ideally hangs around forever. there, there There are some things like, heavy metals that kind of get stored places um and but then they can be mobilized and then you too can pull them out and detoxify them but your own estrogen you gotta you have to clear out it doesn't last forever
0: okay so you can detox i mean your liver starts it but you can also detox through your skin through Mm -hmm. your lungs Mm -hmm. and then of course it out things like that so there are these other uh, detox pathways Tell the analogy that I love of yours about the bathtub and estrogen detoxing.
1: <laughs> yes. So what, so think of a clawfoot bathtub and it has to be clawfoot because I'm extra. So when you have an estrogen and your body is done with that estrogen, it primarily puts it in the liver first. And it, it estrogen detox is a three, generally a three-step process. One, two, three. So phase one detoxification happens in the liver and I equate that to the water in your clawfoot bathtub. You can never turn it off, but you can adjust the water up. You can adjust the water down. You can adjust the kind of water coming into your clawfoot bathtub. When you go through phase one detoxification, estrogen gets converted into something called a metabolite because it has to go through this three-step process. So first it becomes this crazy metabolite that unfortunately can be pretty toxic. And the body knows this, so it's like, all right, I'm gonna. We have to quick make you toxic is part of this process, but then we're gonna quick neutralize you. And in your clawfoot bathtub, that's your drain. So how open is your drain? How closed is your drain? Is your drain clogged full of hair? Then, now that you're neutralized, you can now get excreted. So estrogen, in particular, does go out either the kidneys or it goes out the uh, intestines, and that's what we link like the sewer line. So the sewer line attached to your bathtub. Out of your house is literally the way that, however, you eliminate. That's how you get rid of estrogen. Estrogen doesn't get, um, I should say, does not come out through the breath and it does not come out through sweat. It's primarily through kidney and through stool. So, in your clawfoot bathtub analogy, if your sewer line is broken, what happens? You overflow and ruin your bathtub bathroom. What happens if your drain is clogged? Same thing. You overflow and ruin your bathroom. And it can happen in your body if you are not if you're um, not able to fully go down these pathways in the way that I would be ideal, then you can struggle with estrogen type symptoms. So what
0: are some of these things clogging the drain, let's say, or the sewer system?
1: So let's start, let's start with the sewer system. So I explain it water drain sewer line, cause that's actually the route of elimination. But when we work on treating it, we go in reverse, just like in your house, you, we would treat the sewer line first before we'd go to the drain or the water. So sewer line, we want to, again, we want to make sure you're hydrated, make sure, your you no know, kidney health is good there. We want to make sure you're having regular bowel movements. We want to, if you're having gut issues, gas, bloating, constipation, you know, see your practitioner, you might have to do some sort of, poop in a cup, stool testing. I call it poop in a cup for science. Um, And evaluate, do you have candida? Do you have parasites? Do you have bacteria? Is there something growing in there that maybe shouldn't? Um, Are you eating foods that you know you shouldn't be eating and they're irritating your stomach and your intestines, but you can't help it. You love it so much like cheese and you eat it anyway. Well, those things are just constantly causing bloating gas inflammation, that's affecting your intestinal tract. So we start there. Um, eating foods that are, if if you can, not everybody can, but like your your probiotic and your prebiotic rich foods. So your maybe kimchi, right? Your fermented foods or maybe th- um like chicory root or uh hickama or um Jerusalem artichoke, like these are your prebiotic type foods. They help feed the good bacteria. Then we move up to the drain. So the drain, um, if we get nerdy for a second, the drain is run by a gene. Um, So for those of you in genetic testing, it's run by a gene called COMT or COMT. Everybody freaks out about MTHFR, right? Everyone wants to know about their MTHFR. This is a different gene. MTHFR plays a tiny role, but it's COMT is the big player here. Magnesium is the cofactor. Oh, imagine that! Right, magnesium so many, is a cofactor. So zinc many is the women backup.
0: are low on that.
1: Yep, between and zinc is the backup. So between magnesium and zinc, a lot of women are deficient. A lot of just humans are deficient in it, and that can affect the way that your drain works. Then, when we go up to the water, when we go up to the water um, when in that phase one detoxification, estrogen has a couple of pathways it can go down through. Um, one of the pathways is considered, we call it the four pathway. It's considered a little more carcinogenic, more naughty. It can maybe cause issues with DNA, which we don't like. Our DNA doesn't like issues because that can lead to potentially things like cancer. So we eat foods like broccoli and kale and cauliflower because they help keep us on a different pathway and away from that naughty potential, maybe DNA damaging pathway and so just by using like pre and probiotic foods, using the cruciferous vegetable foods um, it, for phase one, making sure you're having, you know, regular bowel movements or getting your GI health, your intestinal health evaluated, uh, avoiding the foods you probably know are triggers for you, but you love them and eat them anyway. You know, the, those by doing just those simple steps that can really just help how the flow of your detoxification. And and it goes back to alcohol, right? Alcohol, I said, is a bully and pushes its way to the front of the liver. And it will affect the way you detoxify estrogen. So maybe reining in that alcohol uh, habit, um, if you're using it to relax at night or calm down at night or be social, and you are suffering from hormonal symptoms, you're saying to yourself, I feel hormonal. My hormones are a mess. Just keep in mind alcohol plays a role there too.
0: Wow. I love all of that. I love that nutrition plays such a role. So many Mm -hmm. people think that food is just for our like calories in calories out and to give Mm -hmm. us the energy and we're going to lose weight or not lose weight. So many forget, or maybe don't understand the importance that it plays in our estrogen detox. It's amazing. And even just talking about hydration, um, over 75% of americans are dehydrated. So, that's crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. Then that's playing a part in hormonal stuff. So, thank you for explaining all of that. I think it's fascinating. Yep. So,
1: and even the ingredients, like all the ingredients you talk about, all of those have to go through detoxification too. Parabens, right. phthalates, um uh bisphenol, like it they too go through the liver. They too have to get excreted out. And so, again, if you are struggling with sort of estrogen related symptoms and you are just starting your journey into reading ingredients like they go hand in hand and it's, it's only going to help you in the end. Wow. I love that.
0: Okay. So let's talk about another topic that I get asked quite a bit about. So I've got a lot of followers who struggle with PCOS. Oh, yeah. So let's um, start at the basics. Tell my followers what that is for those that don't have it and maybe what's contributing to it, what people can do to help it, mm-hmm. things like that.
1: So PCOS is an acronym, it stands for polycystic ovary syndrome, and it's a interesting name because in it, it says polycystic ovary. And so a lot of women think, oh, I must have to have a lot of cysts on my ovaries. And you don't. Weirdly enough, it's, there's a criteria that we follow and it's two out of three. So number one, do you have cysts on your ovaries? And we evaluate that from an ultrasound, getting a pelvic ultrasound. Number two, do you have high testosterone on testing or high DHEA and the symptoms associated? The symptoms are like cystic acne, especially on the jawline, um, hair growth in places we don't want. And I don't mean like the occasional chin hair that we all have. I mean like hair growth, like, uh, like serious chin hair down the neck, around the nipple, on the belly. It's, the technical term is called hirsutism. Um, And then uh, uh, a female pattern baldness. So women who are losing their hair at their temples, they're losing it in the back of their head. That's sort of the high testosterone uh, umbrella. The third thing are cycle problems. So not ovulating, no cycles, long cycles, can't get pregnant. That's sort of the third criteria. And you only have to have two out of three to be considered PCOS. So women can have can be listening and go, oh my gosh, I have all the testosterone symptoms. And my, my doctors told me I've high testosterone and my cycle is weird. It's some months it's 30 days, some months it's 80 days, some months, I don't know when it's going to come. I have no idea. (laughs) Having those two things can, can give you a diagnosis of PCOS. It's the number one endocrine, um, sort of disorder when around fertility, around fertility problems. It's way more common, I think, than women uh know or that their practitioner is working them up for
0: well yeah you hear so i mean i hear so many women talk about it that they're struggling with it much more now than i did years ago so for those that do have it do you have suggestions of what they should be working on to help them? yeah
1: so one of the most common um instigators, I should say of, of PCOS. There are a few different types, but the biggest, most common type is an insulin related. And we've all heard of insulin as it goes with our blood sugar, insulin and glucose go together. And so insulin comes in and it turns on or binds to again, like a lock and key to make more testosterone. And so even if you didn't want to, your ovaries were like, no, no, no more insulin in women with PCOS, they tend to have an excessive amount of insulin. And so it comes in and activates that testosterone. And so what I tell women is, is this is where understanding your blood sugar, understanding that the foods that you eat, the exercise that you do, the sleep that you get, the stress that you're under plays a big role in how you manage insulin. We find that women with PCOS already have um, this, like an insulin that's, um, got a mind of its own. it's like, it's sort of, it's, it's already higher maybe than yours or mine. And so what the, then they have to be very diligent. They have to be very diligent when it comes to, like I said, those categories, sleep, food, you know, stress management, exercise, what have you, because just by getting the insulin down, just by improving that can really help One, the testosterone, this acne, the hair growth or hair loss. Uh, Well, hair growth in places you don't want, hair loss on your head. And that can further help improve your cycle, get your cycle back, maybe get you ovulating. Um, Again, just by affecting insulin, it can can really affect the whole picture.
0: Okay, so cortisol can mess insulin.
1: It absolutely can. (laughs) So we've got
0: to look at stress as well then.
1: Yes. So and- I'm constantly all women, but especially PCOS women, we can't get rid of stress. Obviously right. 2020 has proven that, but what we, it's how we manage stress, right? What we do for ourselves, Um, and I know the, I know the word self-care hashtag self-care gets thrown out a lot, but, um, I'm like, I don't care what you do. I don't, I don't care what it is that helps you de-stress, um, as long as it's working for you and obviously not hurting you keep doing it. So if it is breathing exercises, if it is meditation, if it is, you know, reading a book, if it's walking your dog, if it's, you know, hanging out with friends, if it's sitting in the sun, whatever it is, listening to music, like whatever it does that helps bring you down and, and ground you again, um, I'm all about because it, and it's the little part through throughout the day don't feel like you have to spend an hour in the bath if you don't have an hour in the bath. But if you have five minutes to do some deep breathing, you know, if you have five minutes to um, read something funny, if you have five minutes to sit outside and get some fresh air, just those incremental five minutes through the day are what bring you back down to grounded level, bring you back down, make you feel happier and safe. And that can be really helpful.
0: Um, I love that. And I know adaptogens can help with stress as well. So that's it, another thing that people can look into. Yeah, um,
1: adaptogens are great. They're an herbal family that... Um, do what they say they're going to do. They help you adapt. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Okay. Then also with PCOS diet can play a huge factor as you talked about the insulin, Mm -hmm. but inflammation as well.
1: Inflammation is one of the categories. So you can have an insulin related PCOS and you can also have an inflammation related PCOS. You can of course have both, but yes. So the more inflamed you are, again, you have these inflammation text messages. They're, they're, you know, chemical messengers. That go around and disrupt everything. When you have little little fires all over your body, like that, throws off your immune system. That af- throws off your your endocrine system, this hormone system. It, it it throws off, it affects every system. And so as a result, if you are already set up with for PCOS, that inflammation can make not only your cortisol worse, but again, like it it'll affect your hormone cascade from the brain down, it can affect your blood sugar and insulin. And so yes, inflammation can do it too. And, and people will often ask me like, well, I don't know what you mean by inflammation. Like, how do I know if I'm inflamed? So you can have obvious signs of, um, I hurt, right? Like my knee hurts all the time. My muscles hurt all the time. My head hurts. I get migraines. Um, my, my intestines hurt. I have gas and bloating and I get stomach pains. And so trying to figure out the cause of that, um, inflammation, but you can have a subtle inflammation, that you may not quite realize yet. So you can have, like, you could have mold exposure, and you're sort of fi- fighting the simmering, you know, fire, and you don't quite realize it yet. You the chemical toxins, the the parabens, the phthalates, the bisphenols, all these things, the metals, the pesticides, they can come in if they kind of like drip in through the day. You may not really realize, like, oh my gosh, it could be driving low grade inflammation all the time. It's not like. Right. My knee hurts, but it's more general gray area than that. Like, gosh, I just feel kind of tired and I feel kind of hormonal. I don't feel kind of on my A game and I don't have the memory I used to. It's sort of these just gray area symptoms that you think you're talking like, oh, it must be age or it might, you know, it must be, it might be stress, which it could be. But um, at the same time, I don't want you to miss it. So inflammation can run a big gamut of ouch to just sort of that, that subtleness
0: yeah, almost knowing you don't even have it.
1: Yes, especially um, if you think it's your, like it becomes your new normal. Right. You know, where you're like, oh, I guess I used to, I would like, I used to describe myself as, you know, like a nine out of 10, and now I'm more like a five or six out of 10. Like, okay, I guess that's my new normal. Like, you're not bad. You can still function and, and push yourself, but you're not the nine or 10 that you used to be. And so we as humans adapt and then we just try to push ourselves. Meanwhile, we have a, low-grade burning fire in places in our body. And so that's where I'm like, "Ooh, let's, let's address this.
0: And inflammation actually can, I mean, your food has a ton to do with inflammation, reducing the sugar, sugar, you know, is such a culprit. Um, Then you've got gluten, dairy for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So getting those out of your diet, I know helps a ton. Um, Being low on some of our minerals and main nutrients, you know, vitamins can actually contribute to that. So um, yeah I'm always like oh people just up your fiber up those cruciferous <laughs> vegetables get rid of that sugar you know it will help tremendously more so than people realize
1: so. we um, you know we call it the standard American diet right the sad diet which is the diet of high processed food you know think of like packaged foods the, the fast food um, our you know our energy drinks and sodas and and cookies and muffins and all those things that's what the standard American diet and I was I was lecturing, uh, to a group of practitioners in Australia a couple years ago, and I accidentally said to the group, "Blah blah blah, standard American diet." And I went, "Oh, I gosh, I'm sorry. What do you guys call it in Australia?" And they you, we didn't even hesitate. As a group, as a room, they said, "The standard American diet." And I was like, Aww. "Oh." <laughs>
0: we have a reputation yes we do oh shoot I
1: say just start you know I don't I because people go well should I go should I go paleo should I go keto should I go vegan should I you know do all these things I'm like why don't we just start with the basics like where are you at what do you eat and and I think a lot of people realize when they're eating something not not that they shouldn't because it's not like you necessarily you know it's it's bad but um Like I said earlier, if you're eating cheese every single day and every single day, you know, cheese gives you massive gas or heartburn or bloating, like, come on now. Then (laughs) it's time to eliminate it. it.
0: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Maybe
1: only, you know, like really reduce it as best you can, you know, use it as a treat. It's because it's only causing inflammation every time you eat it and you know it. So just be mindful of that.
0: And people don't need to go on these trendy diets. They can just incorporate whole foods into their diet. That's what I tell people. So, right. Okay. So moving on from PCOS now, endometriosis, that's the other one that a lot of my listeners struggle with. So again, maybe just tell my listeners what that is exactly, if there's things that can help this.
1: So PCOS is when you have, um, hormone reactive hormone, responsive tissue that should be in your uterus outside of your uterus so it gets implanted and all you often in the abdomen so your uterus is uh like a container it's like a pear (laughs) it's like this little container and so it things should stay in there unless it's you know your period or you're having a baby and then it comes out endometriosis, it has gotten other places. And so um, it'll be all around the intestines. It could be along the diaphragm. Um, I've even had women who've had it um, externally on their labia. I've had women who've had endometrial tissue in their nose. And every time they get their period, they get a nosebleed and you can, you can see the little um, endometrial implants in there. Oh, interesting. And so it's very interesting and it's so ridiculously not fair because endometriosis can be Devastating to some women, the a, the debilitating cramps, the debilitating pain, um, because they're so inflammatory, immune, and uh, hormone responsive, can warrant a lot of women will go in for surgery. Right, they'll ha- they'll try to have this endometriosis scraped or lasered away. Uh, some women will have hysterectomies because they just can't take it anymore. It can affect fertility. I mean, it can affect um, how comfortable sexes I mean it can it can it can affect how comfortable or uncomfortable clothes feel you know like yoga pants maybe too tight against the abdomen and it really hurts I mean it can just really be debilitating for a lot of women because this this tissue is totally got a mind of its own
0: and we don't know or do we know the causes of endometriosis
1: so the and it's highly, I mean the root highly cause. highly up for debate. Yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunately, it's highly up for debate what it could be. And so in fact, I was talking with an endometriosis practitioner yesterday, and she um she said that uh, in research that a lot of the cells uh were um what did she call them? Zombie immune cells. I think that's what she called them. Senescent zombie immune cells that have implanted in places that they shouldn't and they're hormone reactive. And I was like, Yeah, that sounds about right. But there's some other theories out there as to what causes, like, was it in development in basically when you were in utero in in, you know, in your, in your mother, um, is something happen? And, uh, as a result, you are now more prone compared to somebody else. Is it something that happened in puberty? Like there's a lot of theories out there that are getting tossed around. So we don't quite have it nailed down as to why. Um, but what worsens it, we have a much better grasp on. So what does worsen it? All the things we've talked about. So (laughs) like estrogen can push things along. Estrogen out of balance, I should say. Estrogen inherently in itself is not bad. It's just when it's out of balance, especially with progesterone. Inflammation. Inflammation is a big driver. Chemicals. Endocrine disruptors are a big driver. Gut health. Gut health is a big driver because the intestines are all right there. And the tissue, the endometrial tissue is often wrapping or laying itself, intertwining itself around the intestines. And so intestinal health can really affect the endometrial health. And so just those few things can really make pain, cramping, fertility, everything so much worse, unfortunately. And the, the, I, the way to treat is all the exact same stuff we have talked about. Um, it applies to so many things.
0: It does apply to a lot because it applies to PCOS, it applies Mm -hmm. to endometriosis, it applies to the bad cramping, the heavy Mm -hmm. periods, the moodiness, all of that. So it comes down to the nutrition and inflammation and um, the amount of antioxidants and minerals Mm -hmm. and vitamins in your body. So it is so, yeah, the chemicals, the endocrine disruptors. So it's so important for women to understand this. So lumped in all of that, can we also lump infertility into that? as well.
1: Yeah. No, remember the one thing I will say about infertility is that remember it takes two. True. So he is just as important as she is when it comes to fertility. And I often will say we, women take on the brunt of infertility because they're the one who is actually going to carry the baby to term. Right. And so women will go to the doctor and they will get worked up and, you know, they will take on all of it. And, um, and then months may go down the road and they're their doctor or practitioner may say oh we should maybe evaluate his sperm and sure enough his sperm has some issues and maybe if we'd evaluated him way in the beginning then things would have gone a little faster than they were hoping so i always say he is 50 percent of this equation so we cannot forget his 50 percent. like we want we want we want to i always joke we want a smart baby we don't want a stupid baby so we need, <laughs> we need smart sperm just like we need a smart ovary and we need to put the two of them together so his health is just important, but yes, stress, endocrine disruptors, inflammation, gut health, everything we've talked about can go into, into infertility. PCOS, big cause of infertility, endometriosis, big cause of infertility. And then outside of sort of, um, those hormones, but like thyroid, hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism can reduce Fertility rates. And so make sure you get your thyroid checked, things like that. Vitamin D, get your vitamin D checked. Um, Mineral status, like, you you know, antioxidant status, these things can play a role in how you do and don't develop a hormone and how you do and don't um, maybe implant an embryo and become pregnant.
0: Right. So I have to tell you, I know infertility has so many root causes and I wish there was just one solution and one answer for everyone, but There are thousands of reasons why you you might be struggling with that. But I have to tell you, I have so many followers who will tell me like, I have cleaned up my diet, you know, added so many vegetables and fruits into it. And I've gotten rid of endocrine disruptors. And, you know, they go through the whole list of things that they've cleaned up and they'll say, we've been dealing with infertility for three, four years and we just got pregnant on our own and we're so excited. And so it is fun to hear those stories cuz i know that those play a huge part and can really help someone. So,
1: and there's a lot of gray area in fertility meaning if you if you don't get pregnant on your own and you go see your practitioner, your OBGYN or a fertility specialist, you kind of get thrown into the fertility circuit of medication, um, IUI which is intrauterine insemination, all the way up to IVF. And there's no in between, <laughs> you know? not very often. Is there a lot of workup for, well, let's see if you ovulate, let's see what day you ovulate. Maybe you're trying or wrong the wrong day. We need to get you closer to when you like right. When you ovulate, maybe you have a thyroid problem. Maybe your prolactin is a little bit too high. Maybe, you know, cortisol, you know, there's a lot of just reasons. It, it's same for him sperm quality, sperm health, sperm. They should swim forward. They should have one head and one tail. They should, you know, like they should all look the same. You should have enough volume so that they can, at least one of them can reach the egg. And so there's a lot that can be done for men as well, just as much as is for the egg. And so, uh, I just, I wish there was more empowerment, I guess, for women and fertility. Like, Hey, look, While you're trying or before you try or in between trying, like here are things you can do from a dietary, from a lowering inflammation, from a, you know, getting healthy minerals and nutrients and antioxidants. And let's do these few key lab markers because let's just do them now and get them out of the way. Why would we wait until you, you know, God forbid, have a miscarriage? Is it like, so that's sort of my hope and dream as we move into fertility. I understand why I had an IVF doctor tell me he was like, well, why would we do all that? We control everything. Like we control, like we just put do pills and we, and we do injections and we do ultrasounds and we do retrievals and we do insertions and like, we just handle it all. Why would we do any of that other stuff? And I was like,
0: oh, Oh, well, and also (laughs) it doesn't work for everybody. So sometimes they're not in control. And I love that you say empower yourself because that's really what it is. Empower yourself that the doctors can help you, but you Mm -hmm. can also do things on your own when you're not in his office or her office. So I love that you say that.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Okay. Talking about testing, tell my uh, listeners about the Dutch test and what that is exactly.
1: It is an acronym. It stands for Dried Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones. Um, We do not test Dutch heritage. And so it is an at-home urine test that you pee on these strips of paper four, if not five times during the day. And so... um, It's kind of similar to women who've taken a pregnancy test or an ovulation test before is that you just pee on the stick or pee in a cup and dip it into the stick or dip the stick into the cup and let it dry, mail it back to the lab and you get about six pages of information all about your estrogen, some of your estrogen detoxification, your progesterone, your testosterone, your DHEA and the pathways they go down. Some of their pathways can, again cause acne, right? Cause the hair growth on, on the face, the hair loss on the head. We give you a lot of information about cortisol. We give you melatonin. A lot of women want to know, and men want to know, why am I not sleeping? Should I take melatonin? I don't know about melatonin. We'll tell you what it is. We give you a B12 marker. We give you some B6 markers. We give you a glutathione marker. Glutathione is your most potent Antioxidant, uh, along with melatonin, those are your, your big ones, and so it's nice to know some antioxidant status. And we also do a DNA damage marker. Um, so it's, it has this big fancy word; it's called 8-OHdG. But it is nice to know, like what's maybe potentially going on with with your DNA, um, or maybe those who've had cancer or rem- remission from cancer, they like to keep an eye uh, on that marker as well. So it's a lot of info just by peeing on strips of paper four or five times during the day. That is a lot of
0: info. I didn't realize the DNA part. I need to do that. I know um, because people say, well, I got blood work done at the doctor's office and my hormones are fine and I want to tell them, well, that's a great like first screening. I mean, that will tell you some basics, but the Dutch test obviously tells so much more.
1: It does. And like I said, in the beginning, when you go to your practitioner and they do your blood work, make sure if you have a menstrual cycle, you get it tested on the correct day. Make sure you're trying to test in that second half, that luteal phase of your cycle. Oftentimes it's around day 20, 19, 20 or 21. Um, because if you are on your period and you get your blood drawn, we miss out on progesterone. Um, if they're looking at estrogen and progesterone, um, especially if if you lead up to ovulation. So you could quote unquote, look normal. You may be in the range, but you're not in the range for the time of the cycle we're actually looking for. The ranges are very, very different. And so when you, if you do get blood work, if you go that route, it is a screen. um, So it's a great start. Make sure at least you're on the right day of your cycle. The right day. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. And the Dutch test, do they have to get it at a doctor's office or can they order it Online. They do
1: not. You can order it online, um, and uh, and you, they get shipped to you. You mail it back to the lab, and the results come to you. Now that we are a lab, we don't do any interpretation, so you will either hopefully be somewhat savvy in the hormone world and understand what's going on with these hormones or then you will probably need to find a practitioner to explain the test for you. And we do have a find a provider link on our website. So you can type in your zip code or your, your city or state, and then you can get an idea for all the practitioners who do it. And thankfully now so many practitioners do telehealth. And so you may not even be in the same state as the expert you're looking for. Um, Or maybe somebody you follow on social media, Instagram, who, who does Dutch testing, you can just do a telemedicine visit and, and, go over your test results.
0: That's so great. I love that people can just do this on their own and and really empower themselves with their knowledge of what's really happening in their body. I think it's so important that women really know what's going on. So thank you so much. Thank you for explaining hormones and explaining it with PCOS and endometriosis and cramping and infertility. My followers, I know will learn so much from this podcast. Um, My takeaway from it is that, like I said before, is nutrition plays a big part and endocrine disruptors play a huge part and that we can do so much more in our home than maybe we once thought. Maybe we thought we just had to do exactly um, or couldn't do anything without a doctor. Of course, the doctor is great to show us what's going on, but we can do so much on our own. So thank you for teaching that. Um, Absolutely. I always end each podcast with what is your best ingredient in life? What have you found to be the best?
1: The best ingredient in life. Um, So literally, (laughs) my literal favorite ingredient, um, I'll tell you my literal and then my uh, like emotional ingredient to light. So literal is cinnamon, (laughs) Uh, just because of cinnamon, cinnamon's impact on blood sugar and how it can be really helpful uh, at um, blood sugar regulation. So for people if you have like prediabetes or uh, even insulin resistance or diabetes, you've probably read about cinnamon. So I put cinnamon on literally everything. One, I love the taste and two for blood sugar help. Um, and then my, my emotional ingredient for life is find joy. There is a speaker who talks about emotional levels and how they affect our health, meaning like anger, resentment, those are at the bottom, right? And then we move up the ladder of emotions and we get brighter and lighter and, and, and higher up. And according to her healing happens at joy, healing happens at the vibration of joy. So I even have that behind me. Healing happens at joy because, and I don't, you don't have to have like hours of joy, but even like your best friend sends you the funniest meme ever. Like that's joyful. You know, your dog is being super cute with its toy. That's joyful. Um, Being with your family at night all together on the couch. That's joyful. I mean, it can be big things and it can be little things, If the emotion is joy, then that's when healing starts. And I love that.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that. That is so great. Because I'm always talking about healing, but Mm -hmm. rarely do I ever talk about joy. I'm going to start talking (laughs) about joy. Oh my goodness. That is so great. Also, cinnamon. I love that. We're having chili tonight for dinner. So I'm going to dump cinnamon in it. because
1: I I love cinnamon and chili.
0: Yeah, it's really good. So Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you so much. Tell my followers where they can find you. Where they can learn more from you.
1: I hang out on Instagram with you. <laughs> <laughs> I am at dr.carryjones, and everything I do is educational um, on there. So I do a lot of hormones, primarily female, um, just a little bit of male, and a lot of cortisol, a lot of uh, mitochondria. So that's where I am.
0: You guys, she is such a wealth of knowledge go follow her. I have learned so much from you. I love how you just break things down. I love that you're trying new products. I loved one post that you were talking about like different beauty products that you were trying and asking people for suggestions on other beauty products. And so I love that you are bringing the real life stuff to hormones. And so thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for everything you're trying to empower women to understand and know. And thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh my gosh. It was such an honor. I really appreciate the opportunity and thank you to everyone who's listening.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.